Um, as we come to God's Word, let's uh, pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you that you have given us the Bible, your Word, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you've spoken, that you have not remained silent. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear, uh, hearts to receive your Word, and that you would be our teacher now. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with the one who teaches, for Lord, you know that my sins are many. And uh, so teach us, uh, not because of my goodness or my ability, but because of your grace and your love to us as a father. So we ask that you would meet us now as we open your word. Send your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's read together uh, from Luke chapter 8. We're reading verses 1 through 21. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and it, with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe it for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked up by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be manifest, nor is anything secret that may not that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to one for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And then his mother And his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for our good. Thanks Thanks be to God. So this uh, this is the first year that Shannon and I have taken upon ourselves, maybe because our 
growing family to start growing our own food. So I've built a raised bed, two raised beds in the back, and we've gotten a bunch of dirt and trying to feed the, the populace living within our house. And uh, so, but we, we know very little about growing gardens. Uh, so we've made several trips to Bakerview Nursery. First we went and we got some dirt, and then we went to, to get something to put in the dirt. And so we're pushing our strollers around, and there's just thousands of packets of seeds, and we're like, yeah, banana peppers, whatever that is. Let's get some of and so, but I, in doing something new, I'm very unmanly in, in learning how to do something. And part of my unmanliness is that I am happy to ask someone for help in explaining to me what I'm supposed to do. So uh, we found a friendly, friendly Bakerview gardener say, we, you know, we are starting a garden. We don't know what we're doing. We grew up in Bellevue. Uh, we don't know anything about being a farmer. And so this friendly gardener uh, entered into a half-hour uh, everything she knows about um, about gardening, which was I could not tell you everything she learned, but one th- or everything she taught us. But one thing uh, we did uh, learn from the her dissertation on gardening was uh, that if you're uh, if you if we had taken those seed packets um, and brought them home, then we would have to get. Uh, loads of other equipment, you know, heating pads, and, and set up a whole uh, starter setup inside our house or inside our garden if we want those plants to really become mature. And so we'd have to buy all these things. So you can, you can either buy those seeds and buy all this other stuff because the seeds are, they're very vulnerable. They, the beginning, if you want to have a good harvest, you need a, the key is the starter, that you have a healthy plant when you start off. As they say, you can buy all this other stuff, or you can take our starters, which we start for you. They've been cared for. They've been nurtured. And so it's very interesting that uh, seeds, growing plants, are, they're very weak little, teeny little thing. You can't, you know, you can't just throw them on the ground. You know, you think of a, a cherry tree with its thousands and hundreds of cherry fruit that are, that are growing, and it's just throwing them all over the ground and just wasting all of them. And maybe one of them, you know, an animal will eat it and go carry it off and bury it somewhere in the ground somewhere else. And maybe one of them will actually turn into a tree. So in some ways, the, the seed is not a very, it's a vulnerable, uh, weak vessel for uh, passing along the, the plant. But on the other hand, uh, you look at our world, you look at the Humanity, all the energy of humanity, all the bustling cities of billions of people in the world. You say, where does all that energy come from? Where does all the energy that, that makes life in this planet come from? Well, humans are eating, they're either eating animals that are eating plants that come from seeds, or they're eating plants that come from seeds. So these t- tiny little seeds, which seem so vulnerable and, and weak, is actually energizing the whole planet. And so I think that it's this kind of double quality about seeds. That's why Jesus in this parable, he says that the Bible, the Word of God, it's like a seed. It's, uh, it's both um, vulnerable and weak and tiny little thing. And, um, and it's powerful. Um, you know, it has, it has this miraculous power to it. Seeds have this miraculous power to it. And it says the Bible, the Word of God is actually like that. Now, um, why... 
now we understand that uh, if God was bringing his kingdom to the world, you know, Jesus is telling parables of the kingdom. If God's bringing his kingdom to the world, we understand God's going to be powerful. He's going to do something. It's going to transform things. It's going to shape things. And so we get the miraculous power part of the scene. But why, why, you know, where, what if, why not legions of angels? Why not thunder and lightning? And, you know, why is the image for the word of God, God speaking and doing something in the world, a seed, a teeny little seed? Why is that the picture? Well, you know, in a place like Bellingham, many people in Bellingham would say organized religion is basically God coming down with an iron scepter. You will do what I tell you. I, I'm going to lay down the law, and I'm going to control a bunch of people, and I'm going to I'm going to manipulate their minds, and I'm going to take control of them, and I'm going to force them to do what I want them to do. And yet, that's not the picture that Jesus gives of the kingdom coming. That's not how the kingdom coming. The kingdom he comes is this unassuming little seed that comes in that, that God is planting seeds in our lives that almost uh, almost unknowingly, so subtly, actually grow up, and they don't they don't force us. To, to change the world. They actually change what we love. It changes us internally. It grows in us. And so it's a beautiful picture that God is, is working powerfully, but he's doing it in a way that's not with an iron fist. It's, uh, he's coming inside of us. He's coming, he's coming, the picture is not, it's not some you know, crusader on a, on a horse. It's a, God, it's a farmer with a bag of seed throwing out seed. That's the picture of the kingdom. That's how God's bringing his kingdom. And so uh, what Jesus says in this, uh, is this passage is that um, if, the word, if the word of God, the truth of the gospel... How God is is revealing Himself to us is going to really change us. If that power is going to get into us, then we we need to be careful how we're dealing with the Bible, because it's a seed. And what does that mean? It it, uh, it needs care. It it it, uh, it needs us uh, to to be prepared, to be responsive to it. And so we're going to kind of unpack that and I'm explain what that means in two ways, other two headings. First. Um, we need to protect the weakness of the word. I'm going to unpack what that means. We're going to protect, we need to protect the weakness of the word. The vulnerability of it. And you'll see that it is vulnerable. And when we do that, secondly, the, the power of the word will transform our lives. We protect the, the weakness of the word, the power of the word will transform our lives. So what, what does that mean? Now this parable um, that Jesus tells of a sower sowing seed. He says that there's uh, the sower walks out of the field and he's throwing seed all around. It's kind of standard uh, Palestinian practice for how, how to sow seed. And he says that there's three kinds of seed that fall do not fall on good ground. They fall on bad ground. And then there's one kind of seed that falls on the good ground and it, it grows up and there's, there's a hundredfold. And so I think that each of these, there's three different seeds that fall onto bad ground. We're going to look at each three of those. And each three of those tells us ways that we need to protect uh, the word of God in our lives and in our hearts. So um, the first is this, that we need to guard our minds. Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Then he goes on to explain in verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so uh, the reason I say that uh, 
this is talking about that we need to guard our minds when we're, as Christians, interacting with the Bible. We need to guard our minds. is because Jesus says that the, re- the reason uh, that this seed does not grow up and bear fruit is because it's trampled underfoot. And then birds there come and devour it. And that's the devil taking it, taking it away so that we, we don't believe and be saved. And it's being, so the word of God is being abused. It's being trampled on underfoot. And so what that means, you know, we live in a culture that, uh, that is, is abusing the Bible. You know, it's not reliable. It's not historical. It's primitive. It's, it's exclusive. There are all kinds of reasons to say you should not believe the Bible. And we need to be prepared. Uh, what do we think about it? Is that true? We need to use our minds to protect the Bible so that, um, you know... Some, some Christians will say, listen, you know, the liberal university, I know they slander the Bible and say, but you've got to have faith. You just believe that the Bible is true. Right? Just believe what the Bible is true. And that's true. We do need to trust God that he reveals himself in truth in the Bible. But for many people, that's not going to be enough. You know, I just read a, uh, an article recently in, in Christianity Today, uh, an interview with David Bazan, who is, uh, he was the front man of a band called uh, Page of the Lions, kind of an indie uh, rock band that uh, they were a Christian band that were out in the, as Christians they, they were con- uh, professed to be Christians in the secular kind of music world and uh, recently he's left the faith and, and so he's, he was had an interview in Christianity Today talking about uh, what has happened and one of the things that he says is he looks at the church, he says that there is a hemorrhaging of thoughtful people from the church the people who know how to think. And he says, you know, I, I'm challenged with all these questions. And he, he walked away. He walked away from the faith. And we have to be prepared to think. And, and, and thinking that, oh, just believe that the Bible's good enough. It's going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. You, you could lose your faith. If you're not willing to guard your mind, you could lose your faith. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say you're sitting at Woods. You're reading your Bible. You're having a quiet time with Jesus. You know, your heart's open. God teaches. Speak to me through your word. Some guy comes up, sits next to you. Hey, what are you reading? Um, oh, I'm reading the Bible. Um, and he says, oh, do you know where that Bible came from? Do you, why, do you know why the, the books, the writings that are in the Bible are in there and instead of other writings? Because there were a lot of early Christian writings. Do you know why there were only some in there? You say, well, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, well, 300 years after Jesus and his disciples, the Roman emperor Constantine, was for a political move, was uh, wanted to consolidate power. And so he put together a council that chose which books were in the Bible and which books weren't. And so you know what you have? You're, like, you're reading a document that's just the product of a political uh, maneuver by a Roman emperor. And you say, oh, and you know, you had your heart wide open, God speak to me, and all of a sudden you're saying... What's going to happen? Is he, are you going to be able to open your heart? God speak to me through the Bible? You say, this, this came from a Roman emperor. There's all kinds of other writings. This isn't, I thought this was the Holy Scriptures, right? And if you leave it at that, that's going to do huge damage to how your openness to the Bible. It's vulnerable. It's being trampled on. And so unless you go and research and say, oh, we actually have a manuscript from over 150 years before Constantine, the uh, Muratorian Canon, which is a list of what Christians believe to be uh, the books, that, the early Christian writings that were scripture, is exactly what it's basically exact list that Constantine uh, in Nicaea put together. It's the exact same list that we have now. And even before the Muratorian Canon, uh, Irenaeus the Bishop, uh, he made a list of what Christian writings are. It's the same list. 
And it turns out that you can actually go all the way back to the apostles, and even the Bible itself tells you what books should be in the Bible. And you say, oh, wow, gosh, the Holy Spirit is working in the church, preserving the Bible. God has been caring so that we can actually have the Bible. But you know what? If I don't know that, if, I don't, if I'm not willing to use my mind and, and, and to think, someone can come in and just trample and walk all this Bible. And, and it's, that's going to do huge damage to our, to our faith. So on the one hand, we have to guard our minds. We have to be thinking Christians um, if, if, if we're going to be able to receive the Bible in faith. But second... Um, we need to, the way that we need to protect the word is by preparing our hearts. So uh, look again at verse 6. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And Jesus explains in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. What Jesus is saying here is that if you are a Christian, you are going to suffer. God is going to put trials into your life. And if you're not prepared for that, if you if you weren't expecting that a Christian life was going to include trials and suffering, then uh, you could you're not going to be you're not going to be ready when those trials come, and you're not going to be able to receive the word in those times of, uh, of trials. So you know if you haven't in the small trials of your life, been able to, to take a, a verse, take, this is Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose all things are called all things work together for the purpose of good, now if you haven't been practicing that, preparing yourself that, um, to be able to receive a, a word like that, even in the midst of trial, before the trials come even with small trials, and then cancer comes, and someone says to you, God is working all things for good, what are you going to say? Don't give me your trite little Bible verses. It's not a big enough band-aid for cancer. But if you've been training, if you've been preparing your heart that I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to have tests, I'm going to have trials, then I'll tell you what, that, that word, you're going to receive that word, and you're going to say, even cancer... I believe God is working for His glory and for my good. I don't know how, but He's working it. You can't, you can't just do that, though, right when cancer comes. You've got to be prepared. We have to prepare our hearts for that. And so uh, C.S. Lewis, actually, in a, uh, in a letter correspondence with a man who just became a Christian, was saying, you know, I became a Christian. I feel alive. My heart is full. I feel full of joy and these great sensations. Uh, this is what Lewis writes to him, which has a lot of wisdom in it. Accept these sensations with thankfulness as birthday cards from God. But remember that they are only greetings, not the real gift. The real thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which can't usually be, perhaps not ever, experienced as a sensation or emotion. The sensations are merely the response of your nervous system. Don't depend on them. Otherwise, when they go, and you are once more emotionally flat, as you certainly will be quite soon... You might think that the real thing had gone too. But it won't. It will be there when you can't feel it. May even be most operative when you can feel it the least. That's an amazing, that's an amazing verse. And you're, you need to be... He's preparing him for that. He's preparing him that you have trials coming. And you, at the beginning of your Christian life, you've got to be ready. Or you're not going to be able to receive the word when the trial comes. You're going to fall away. Okay? So, we need to guard our minds. We need to prepare our hearts... 
in order to protect the vulnerability of the word. The, the, the word has vulnerability to it. But last, we need to watch our lives. We need to watch our lives. So look at verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And Jesus explains in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, I would say that maybe for our congregation, this is the one that we might be most susceptible to, is uh, being choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Because for many of us, we're young, we're trying to figure out where, where are we in life, what are we doing. We have young families trying to figure out how to parent, we're entering into our careers, uh, who am I, what is my vocation, how am I going to support myself, and in fact, the word that's used there for cares, the, the cares of this life, it's anxieties. The word means anxieties. The anxieties of what's going to happen. And there's, uh, we're susceptible to the fact to, to get our whole life and whole mind wrapped around how am I going to provide for my family? How, who are my kids going to be? And all the cares of this world. And we don't have time, we don't have any space in our life for, for reflection and meditation on the Word of God. And Jesus says if we don't, it will choke our spiritual life. That those cares, the cares for those things will actually choke our, our spiritual life. Because loving God and serving God, it's a relationship. It's like, it's like a marriage. You know, if you're in a marriage, you have to, you have to have space and time to connect with your spouse. To, to let's talk, let's have a date, let's hear what's going on. Um, we need to talk with one another. In fact, I, I just read a, uh, or I just heard an interesting t- statistic about um, when divorces happen in marriages. And there are actually two periods when largely divorces happen in a marriage. It's either in the first five years of the marriage, you know, you come and you say, whoa, this is not what I was expecting, and then you get a divorce. Or it's between uh, years 18 and 24. And what's happened is in your marriage, you've gone, you're raising kids, you're doing your career, you're doing all this stuff, and you're doing this stuff, and there was no connection with you and your spouse. All of a sudden, the kids are gone, the house is empty, and it's like, who are you? Uh, I don't love you anymore. And you drift apart. You've drifted apart. And that's what Jesus is saying. The same thing can happen with the same thing happens with God. We get consumed in the things that we're doing in our life, and we don't have space uh, to hear what is God saying, what is God speaking, what is God thinking, and uh, in in the Word. And so we have to be careful. Where does the Word of God have priority in our life? It has to have space. It has to have room. So we're going to, um, so those are the way, you know, we need to protect it. It's vulnerable. You see now. It's vulnerable. It's like a seed. It's not, it's not an iron fist coming down. It's like a seed that could easily just get brushed away. And yet there's tremendous power in it. And so that leads to our second point. So first, uh, we need to protect the kind of vulnerability, the weakness of this seed. In the word, we need to nurture it. Uh, but second, uh, the power of the, word, of the word will transform it. Our lives, your life. Now, I said at the beginning that uh, seeds uh, seeds have the, the power to energize all the bustling billions of people in the world, right? Now, some of you, some of your biologists, you say, no, the seed doesn't have energy. It's just it's a transformer. The sun has energy, and the sun, it, what the seed does is somehow tra- mediates, transforms the energy of the sun and makes it into a plant that you can eat. So you can take sun's energy and make it into, uh, you know, 
mate energy, jumping around and stuff like that. that uh, that's what the seed does. Is it's a mediator. It's, it's an in-between that, that, uh, that brings the energy of the sun to us. And that's exactly what the word of God does. God is the power. God is the energy. And this is the means of His grace. This is the way that He's bringing His grace uh, into our life. Now someone will say, now, okay, you're saying the Bible can transform a life. Has anyone ever picked up a Bible who knew nothing about the Bible, not, nothing, and they just picked it up and they started reading it and their life transformed. Has that ever happened? Yeah, it happened to me. <laughs> That's exactly it. And, that, and this is absolutely true. This is why the Bible is a huge part of our church. Um, I was a stoner, dropped out, teenager, who my parents picked up in the middle of the night and sent away to a New Age rehab on the island of Western Samoa in the South Pacific, okay? Target, isolated, middle of nowhere, okay? In a new age rehab where all these boys are trying to find their magical child so their magical child will make their life better. And by some miracle, I had hardly read a book in my life. I was a dropout. I, get, I find a little Gideon, green Bible that, you know, they give out free in the hotel that was laying around in some room, some hut in Samoa, and it's a, it's a King James version, I didn't understand anything, and I just started reading it, and a friend of mine said, you know, uh, you should read Matt. I see him every three weeks, and he'd give me little tidbits on what to do, he's like, read Matthew, read Acts, there's a lot of miracles, it's kind of cool, read Genesis, read Exodus, okay, and I read it, and my life fully transformed, that really happened, <laughs> It is a living word. And, and I'll tell you could, you, could I have been more isolated? I wasn't going to church. I wasn't. That was the power of the word. It totally transformed my life. And uh, why is that? What's in the Bible that's so powerful? What, what, what is in there? What do we have access to? What is the Bible about? And the truth is the Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Not just the Gospel, not just Luke, not just the New Testament. The whole Bible tells us about Jesus. Actually, in the end of Luke, there's a very uh, interesting... Jesus is about to go back into heaven. He's died. He raised from the dead. He spent 40 days talking to disciples, telling them about the kingdom, and then he's going to go back to heaven, where he's now. And uh, before he leaves, he, there's this little thing that he says to his disciples in, in Luke 24. He says this, these are my words that I spoke to you uh, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's all Old Testament. He's saying all that stuff about me in the Old Testament before I even came. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which is, was the Old Testament. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So Jesus says that it is written in the Old Testament that the Christ should suffer and be raised, and then his name should be proclaimed to all the nations. It doesn't say that. There's no verse that says that in the Old Testament. What is he talking about? There's no verse that says that. He's not quoting a verse. He's saying that the whole thing, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the whole thing is pointing up to me. It's preparing you for me. The whole Bible it invites you into knowing me. And that knowing Jesus is what transforms us. 
And so the reading the Bible, it's not, I'm going to be a good, good Christian to read the Bible. That's not why we read the Bible. It's because good Christians read the Bible. We read the Bible because Jesus is there. And that's how we find out we know who Jesus is. And so, um, if we want to know Jesus and be changed by him, we have to go to the Bible. But how do we do that? How do we do uh, what Jesus says in verse 15? As for that in the good soil, the seed in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. How do we do that? Hold, hold the word fast. Well, one way is you be here, right? I mean, this is a distinctive of this church. You know, Shannon and I moved here July 1st. July 26th, we started teaching, teaching Colossians. We opened the Bible and we started teaching it. And that's a huge, that's a huge important in being in a church that has a high view of the Bible. That's a big part of holding it fast. Is where you, that you're going to hear the Bible in this context. But you know what? You, you've got to, if you're going to be holding it fast, you've got to read it on your own as well. There has to be times in your life, you have Bibles in your house, you have the Word of God in your house, and for some of you say, you know, yeah, I want to do that, but when, when do I do that? Well, let me, I'll just share with you my practice, this doesn't have to be your practice, it's not in the Bible, what I do, but it may be helpful to you. Um, I, uh, I generally read in the morning, I'm a morning person, um, ideally it would be before my children are awake, so I, I, and I, can, so I can get up at 5.45 and the house is gone, but even later, when the kids wake up, I'll read, and I got kids climbing over me, and eating cereal, and, you know, not eating cereal while they're climbing over me, but the, uh, and, um, I read it, I read one song in the morning, it's kind of a, a prayer to kind of prepare my heart to be with the Lord, and reflect on a couple verses, and then I read a proverb, one chapter of Proverbs, and then I generally actually read probably three to five chapters of another book. Now that's probably a lot for most people. But one of the things, uh, one of the things that I've found is many times as Christians, when we're reading the Bible, we, we, you know, we're expecting such a spiritual encounter when we come to the Bible. So we, re- we read, soon afterward he went through the cities. What does it mean? Soon afterward, you know. I need to have a big spiritual experience with soon afterward he went through the cities. And Sometimes that's really good to take a few words, meditate on them. That's important. There's also a time to just read through it, cruise through the Bible. I mean, I'll do that. Skim it. What's what's Ephesians about? Read it in three minutes. Okay, it's about this. Use the headings. Do different kinds of ways. Because sometimes you feel like, I'm not getting anywhere through the Bible. Read it like you read any other book. And because I'm kind of a big person, big picture kind of guy, I like to know what's the big picture, what's the Bible about. So cruise through it. So sometimes if I'm reading five chapters or more than that, I'm just I'm reading fast through it. And sometimes you come to a verse and you say, I need to I need to really meditate on this this verse. Mix it up. Um, but do what works for you. You know, some of you are not morning people. Then there's got to be a time at night. There's got to be a time in your lunch hour. You know, Shannon reads the Bible while breastfeeding twins. So, if she can do that, uh, you can find a time. That's talented. I don't know where, what third hand she's using. But, um, but you need to find time and, and that's holding it fast in a good and honest heart. Where, where is that happening? And, and to read, read the text. Let me just say a couple other things, um, even almost as an announcement in this church, but uh, Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So we need to be taught the Bible. We need to read the Bible on our own, but there needs to be places where we're talking about it. Okay, So home groups kind of that setting. Home groups are kind of coming to an end. 
Let me just encourage you, uh, some of you gals, um, many women in the church are involved in Bible study fellowship, which is a great ministry that gets you into the Bible. And uh, so if you're interested in something like that, a midweek thing, I want to get into the Bible, talk to me or talk to Diana. Diana's a good person to talk to about that as well. And um, also for you guys, in June, uh, we're planning to start a uh, uh, men's kind of theology Bible um, meet at Boundary Bay or Archer Ale House and discuss theology and the Bible. And uh, this is going to be a good time for that. We're going to probably try to do it either every other week or every third week in the evening, like an 8 o'clock thing, so that as uh, men, we're getting together and be men of the Word. That's what we'd l- I'd love to see here is a church of men who love the Bible. And so it's helpful to do it together and, and to talk about it together, to wrestle through theolo- theological questions together. So we're going to be doing that more. So have that on your radar and think about um, where these things are, are, are happening. Um, but that's how God's working us. That's, that's why the distinctive of this church is we're going to preach the Bible. And um, so... Let me just say that the, the word, this Bible, is a seed. It's powerful. It, it's, it's seed. It's small. It, it's buried deep in us, and it grows up and actually changes how we live. And Jesus says that if, if the seed falls into good soil, it, it produces a yield of a hundredfold. Those hundredfold are loving people. That's what the, the fruit is, is loving people, treating people well. And so we got to protect the word, and it will transform us. Let's stop right here. Oh Lord, we thank you uh, for the Bible. We thank you that uh, you have acted in history, uh, that you have spoken to us. Lord, give us, we need discipline, we need diligence. Lord, not because we want to prove ourselves to you, but because we want Jesus. And he is there. And so we thank you that uh, Jesus is revealed to us in the word. Would we be a church that talks about the Bible, that studies the Bible together, that um, uh, defends the Bible? And uh, believes and trusts your word. Would you do that in us? We ask this in Jesus' name.